This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. From our brother Timothy, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Every week, we're going to start with somebody else from the church and you getting to see their face, uh, whether you're here or at home. You're going to get to see people's faces, remembering that you're not by yourself as we are going to hopefully by the end of this series together have the entire book of Colossians read by our church, which will be an awesome uh, gift. And it'll be fun to, to see all the faces that have contributed to it. So Frankie, thank you for leading the way, starting it. You started it, you know, it's pretty cool. Anyways, um, like Miss Becca said, we are going to be starting in Colossians, Colossians chapter one. Um, this book has been life-changing in many ways for me personally, uh, but I believe it, it speaks to our season of life that we are in right now. Um, Colossians simply stated, declares, Jesus is king. No children, Kanye West did not come up with that phrase. Um, he did not throw that together because he was smarter and wiser at communicating gospel truth. No, Jesus himself makes the statement. And so this morning, as we're starting a series, we start in a very interesting season of life. Um, we are living in the day of COVID-19, um, otherwise dubbed the coronavirus. And I don't know if you know, but corona in Latin means crown. I want to show you a picture of a, a particle of the coronavirus. And if you look at this piece, obviously, if you cut it in half, it looks like a crown. But if you zoom in a little bit closer, the reason it's called coronavirus crown is because there are these spikes on the end of it that are crown shaped. Legit little crowns and crown shaped. So when you're looking at this, this is not an insignificant season to look at Jesus as king. Everything about this virus is screaming. Everything about this virus is screaming, I'm your new king. And I don't mean that to say as Christ followers, we're to buck the system or we're to say, oh, forget it, forget it, forget it. No, what I mean is anytime we believe something has great power, we either live in fear of that crown. We either live in rebellion against that crown or we rearrange our entire lives because of that crown. Anything we think or believe that has power, we rearrange our lives around. This doesn't mean that Christ followers are not to take precautions, neither are we to live foolishly not taking seriously the things we're supposed to. But my point is traditionally fear, rebellion, and a life rearrangement occurs when we believe something has power over our lives. This is not a new thing. This is not a new response. This is a human response. You and I, even in a time of virus, are susceptible to new philosophies, new religions, politics, sports, money, work. It's not a religious thing. This is a human thing. Anything we believe that is powerful, we hand our allegiance to, we hand our schedules to, we hand our actions to, we hand our livelihood to. What, that which we believe has the greatest power, we hand control. Christ followers gather in a way, whether it's virtually or in person, we gather in a way to remember 
who really is in control. I'm not talking about some secret society pulling strings. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus has authority over everything. Nothing is ever out of his control. For the believer, there is never a time that Jesus is not king. There is never a time or a season or a place when he is not king. Just because a new threat arises or a new shiny and attractive package comes to our door, there is never a time we give it rise in our lives over what Jesus has done, ever. Now to be clear, Christians didn't invent this concept. Christ followers didn't look at Jesus and go, "Ha, this guy does things differently. We should call him a king. No, actually Jesus himself said these things over all things. That the kingdom of God is even greater than the kingdom of Rome or even the kingdom of our modern day COVID-19. He is king over all things. The scripture reminds us that there is no time that Jesus is not king. Meaning, there is no time in our lives that we hand our allegiance to someone or something else. And when we do hand our allegiance over to someone or something else, we're actually robbed of the wholeness, the hope, the peace, the joy that we long for. But second, we have nothing to offer the world looking for those very things. If we are a people who are not sure of the authority of Jesus, how does that impact the way we invite others to know the hope, the wholeness, and the joy of Christ as King? When those who make up the church are robbed of those things, we can't make them available to those who need to know that experience in their life. When a church drifts from the person and the power of Christ, we find ourselves struggling in every area of life. Every area of our life is thrown out of order when Jesus is not king. So this is why as a church, we would choose to take time every Sunday to consider this big truth, to consider why Jesus is king, not just in the Colossian church day, but in our day as a people. As we take time to study Paul's letter in Colossians, I wanted to start with my, what might seem basic, but it's often overlooked. Three good Bible study tools for those of you who may be questioning or asking, how do I actually look into the scripture? Three good questions to begin with. Who's the author? Who's the author's audience? And what is the purpose for the writing? Three basic questions that can unlock so much power in the scripture to know the author, to know the author's intent, and to know the people in the context and culture that they were hearing these words in. The purpose of, the, of, of Colossians is a little more difficult to pull out than normal. Specific lines or phrases don't necessarily just exist where Paul says, this is why I'm writing you. This is what you're doing. This is where you're at. But I do think, and as I looked, as I've read through Colossians many, many times, this, I do believe, summarizes Paul's point in the, to the Colossian church. I also believe it sums up his entire life. Maybe it'll sum up your life. Maybe it'll be your life missions verse. But in Colossians chapter two, listens to Paul's words. Colossians 2, he says, I want them, he's talking about the church at Colossae and Laodicea and all believers who don't know him, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. I believe these point to the heartbeat of Paul. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. He wants the people to be so anchored in their understanding that Jesus is the point that he's willing to lay his life down, which wasn't the original case. From the purpose that we read, we see this throughout the whole letter, a calling back to Jesus is king. Jesus is over all things. Over and over, Paul will draw the church back to Jesus. Colossae was in modern day Turkey. Once it was on a trade route, big, powerful, cosmopolitan city, now on the decline. But what was interesting about this city in particular is that one of the very first Asian deities from the far east made its way into the Roman world. And it was the, the cult of Sybil. And this cult actually existed in a way that it was the, the, the mother goddess that was worshipped. And what was interesting about far east religions is that they were much more emotional and um, uh, ecstatic and ecstasy and, and personal like emotions and feelings involved. Uh, she was the, over all the fertility and nature and healing and people would work themselves up in a frenzy. Honestly, some of the practices of this cult freaked the Romans out to the point where they were like, uh, no, we can't do that. And they did a lot of things. So the point is you have this, this cult forming people's thoughts and then you take that and then you combine it with the Greek philosophy of life and you've got wisdom and knowledge and the more you're able to know secret knowledge about things you can elevate in your spiritual journey so you have a people formed and fashioned by this wild experience but what was interesting about Colossae is about 200 years before Paul's letter a group of 2,000 Jewish people who had been in exile in Babylon were moved to this area so you have a people who are not just all about worship experiences and worship frenzies. You have a people about rules and rituals and an identity that is based on those things. It's the perfect storm, right? One group of people all about the emotional workup. And if I don't feel it, then I don't know it. And if I don't know the hidden knowledge and I can't go to this level of spirituality. And then you have a people all about rituals and religion and rules. Perfect storm. In fact, it's very reflective of the American church. If I can't create the emotional experience for you, then I'll move on to somewhere else. Or if, if I don't have the emotion, then I'll just go to the rules. I'll just be a rule follower. And we've whittled church down to one of these two experiences. Congratulations. This city, a mix of all extremes is where God chose to plant a church. He chose for this place, a people who had no clue about the gospel of Jesus. This place is where people would hear, turn, live, believe, and walk in relationship with God. These people were going to find themselves hearing the story of Jesus through a missionary, someone who learned of the gospel and took it to his own city.
In Paul's greeting, we're gonna learn a lot about the gospel. And I know sometimes we skip over the greetings. Many of you probably jump right below the greeting when you start reading the Bible. You probably just go right into whatever's next and you're like, ah, a greeting. But the, 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 the beauty of every word of scripture is it's intentional. There's no accidental scripture word. There's no accidental pieces and parts and words and phrases. It's all intentional. And so you and I get to, through Bible study, understand why these, these words matter. Listen to his words again, two verses. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from a brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Gospel, Paul, and the Colossian church. Paul's greeting and introduction is packed with the gospel. Jam-packed with truth of what Christ has done and what he has accomplished, not only in Paul's life, but in the people of Colossae as well. Paul's greeting and introduction gives us an opportunity to hear of Paul's credentials there was no Facebook stalking around in Paul's day. You could not check up on Paul. Paul would have to say, here are some credentials. And honestly, we would do good in taking some of their, uh, uh, their, their, their writing forms because I think we, take, we just give everybody credit, right? Like everybody says something, so I gotta take their word. Well, why? Because they have a lot of Instagram followers? Why? Why would you take their words over someone else's? It has to do with establishing your credibility among a people. Paul does this. Paul's story doesn't start as a gospel announcer, if you're familiar with it. We've talked about him so many times in that he was one who was adamantly opposed to the gospel, to Christians, to the church, to the worshipers of Jesus, totally opposed to the point of he is witness to the stoning of Christ followers, the murder of Christ followers, in, in his drive to end this Jesus cult. Paul says in his greeting, he was chosen by the will of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, not to brag, but to confess, to give weight to the message that really matters most. Paul is saying that if God has not stepped in in my life, then I'm done. To think of Paul being the one who goes from the persecutor of the church to the presenter and announcer of the gospel is an obscene transition. It's like, what? How? Why? Paul's saying, in a sense, you can Google me in that you can look at my life before Christ to understand just how powerful Jesus really is. If God had not stepped in in my life, Paul would say, then I would be headed for destruction in my own ignorance. I would have persecuted God's people and thinking I was actually one of God's people while I was persecuting the actual people of God. But then I would also have died in my ignorance had God not stepped in. Had God chosen not to interrupt me on the way to destroying the church, I would not be here today. Paul's intro of greetings chosen by the will of God is a humbling statement. Paul makes sure that they understand that it's not his authority he's coming in, but it is in God's authority. Like, look me up, man. I was, in, I was destroying people who followed Jesus, but now I bring you this message of Jesus. And it is the messenger 
that doesn't matter in this instance. It's the message that matters most. That word apostle, we like to use that word um, as just a, as a sent one, but it also has a biblical depth to it that the apostles were the ones who were with Jesus. Paul is tending, intending to use it in this way. He wasn't just sent to them. In fact, he never made it to Colossae, but he is one who encountered the risen Christ and found his calling and sentness in the person of Jesus. He is sent by Christ to these people. Paul also introduces himself along with Timothy. This is a very good thing to do in Jewish culture. Jewish culture understood you needed two or three witnesses to anything. So for him to mention Timothy to these people was to, to let the Jewish people go, oh, he does have one other person. Go, go talk to Timothy, ask Timothy. He can see me writing this thing down. He's with me in this process. So three big endorsements from the very get-go. Think of my story where I've been, what I've done, and who God has changed me into. He learned from Jesus. Jesus was the one who encountered him, stopped him on his way, changed the course of his life. And Timothy, he's with me too. You know who I'm talking about. Credibility and authority being established, but the gospel goodness doesn't stop there. Verse two says this, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. One of the greatest lessons I have learned as a pastor about pastoring is from this passage. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have learned from Paul from this phrase. I learned that even when believers are struggling or wrestling with a sin or temptation to believe some new philosophy or strange idea, I want to approach them with confidence not condemnation. I want to approach those who have said that they have been born again by the Spirit of God. I want to be concerned and I want to remain confident. I don't come with a critical spirit. I come with a desire, as Paul did, to unpack the truth of God in a deeper and better understanding in this believer's life. Paul does this as he's writing to a church he's about to correct. He doesn't start by saying, hey, you know what? To the church of Colossae, those of you who keep screwing it up, those of you who, you cowards who are returning to the old ways you used to live, those people who are abusing grace, those ridiculous people who just can't get it right, that is not how he starts. He's about to spend this letter calling them from these things that could destroy them. And he approaches them with a confidence. And how do we know that? He calls them God's holy people. He calls them saints in some of your translations. He doesn't smash them and say, well, I question everything about you. No, Paul was so convinced that it is God who is saving people and God who planted this church and God who started these things that he's willing to address these people as God's holy people set apart. When you walk in that way, you address people differently. When you walk in that way, you come in a different spirit. When you walk in that way, you look at them as brothers and sisters and say, I want to see you know Jesus more fully. There's nothing more than Jesus. There's just more of Jesus. 
And one of the things you and I as the church have been tasked to do is to present that over and over and over. I know when we hear the word saints, we don't think of ourselves that way. And the problem is because that's what we're thinking of. We're thinking of ourselves. Someday you will find it humorous that Paul addresses the church as saints and then realize he goes and corrects everything that they're messing up in. Someday you will find the humor theologically and just because it's funny. It's a funny picture to know that though they were tempted to walk, there's still this understanding that they are his. And Paul addresses them that way. When you hear the word saint, you think, nope, not, nope, no, Jason, not me. I am not a saint. Now, if you're talking about your performance, you are correct. But maybe, maybe Christianity isn't based on your performance. Maybe your Christianity isn't based on your works. Maybe by faith, something so great has happened that it changes everything we thought about ourselves and about God. Paul understood this. If God looked at our ways, who could stand? None of us. But the way of faith, according to Paul also in Galatians, is very different than the way of the law. When Paul uses the word saint, he does not use our unbiblical American visual. He does not have our misguided traditions in mind. He doesn't have some cat saving, running into a burning building, perform a miracle, ending homelessness, smiling super Christian in mind. He doesn't have us in mind at all. In fact, the reason we would doubt the word saint about ourselves is because the first thing we think about is us. We know us. I know me. You know you. That's why we would never hear the word saint about ourselves. Paul understood that going from people in the world, believing whatever they want, living however they want, was actually the person the gospel was designed for. The, the gospel and you and I, upon believing that Jesus is God's son, that he saved me from, this, from sin, moved me from one kingdom to the kingdom of his dear son, is God's work. It's his performance that should come to our mind first when we hear the word saint, not yours. His performance is what we should hear when we hear the word saint. The reason we dodge the label saint is because I am the first thing that comes to my mind. But what if, what if the first thing that came to your mind when you heard that word saint was Jesus? What if, apart from Christ, yes, I am no saint. But Paul uses the phrase in Christ. And that phrase changes everything. What if when you thought saint, you didn't think about your performance, but you were like, oh, wow, the performance of Christ matters that much more that it would actually change my identity to a child of God. I'm not sure when the next time I will be able to fly will actually be. I don't know when that's going to be a reality, but I know to experience the full benefits of flying children. If I'm going to go on a flight, should I chase behind the airplane? No. Yes? See, that's what's wrong with us. No. Should I stand on the outside of the airplane holding on for dear life? See, you, don't, you shouldn't ask children. You should know better than this. This is why it's been great for 12 weeks, because there's been no one here to talk back, but I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. No, I don't chase behind the airplane. I don't hold on to the nose of the airplane. What do you do when you want to experience the benefits of flight? You are in the plane. I'm not actually flying, but I'm experiencing all the benefits of that plane that is actually doing the flying. Paul is saying in Christ, we're not hanging around Jesus. We're not, we're not next to Jesus. As Paul says, in Christ, saints or God's holy people set apart in Christ, we experience every blessing and every benefit that children of God have access to. Why? Because by faith, God has taken us out of the grips of death and sin and placed us into his kingdom. A location change is important, but an identity change is more important. The location change only happens because of the identity change. Sinner to saint. We may mock that idea because we love the idea of being able to say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What if we changed that phrase to just, I'm a saint sustained by grace? Like, what if we just changed the phrase? What if we just stop saying, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, then you're just going to sin. Probably you're going to adopt that identity really fast. But to be able to say I'm a saint sustained by grace, it's not about me. My sainthood or my saintness isn't about me. It's about what Jesus has done. This is the message Paul opens with. Paul is about to deal with some very troubling issues in the church, but he doesn't forget that she's the church. They are God's holy people set apart by him for him. And when he does the ultimate, Paul doesn't socially distance himself from any of these people. He actually calls them his faithful brothers and sisters. He doesn't go, well, I'm not like them. You know, I think sometimes when I know when my children are screwing up in public, I'll look at my wife and go, your kids are acting up. That's me socially distancing myself from the trouble that's happening. You do it, I do it, parents, we all do it. Paul does not do it in this moment. He says, my faithful brothers and sisters. He identifies himself with them, not set up against them. Paul closes his greeting in a significant way and he reminds the people that it is because of their father in heaven, not some nameless, faceless, emotionless deity, but it is their father in heaven that has given them all the grace that will give them all the peace they need. We are his church. Why does it matter today? And Ben, you and the team can come. We are the church and we are crazy to think if we aren't subtly influenced by outside ideas and philosophies of the world. Over time, you and I will find ourselves walking in ways that look good, but aren't actually. And they rob us of the full life. One of the main reasons the church has struggled to walk as she has is because of the identity issue. We continue to believe that we're sinners and we reject the idea that God has made us saints. It's not humility that would say, no, 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 I'm a sinner. It's actually pride. To reject the identity that God has given his new people, not because of our works, but because of Christ's. It's not, it's not a pride or arrogance thing. It's actually humbling to take on that, that name because we know what it cost Jesus. And lastly, Paul's tone towards believers who could easily have found themselves off kilter. 
He did not begin with condemnation. He's concerned yet confident that these are the people that God is saving and he will save. I know this, this weekend was, for me, was full of trying to level ground. Um, somebody let us borrow an above ground pool and you know, you look at level ground and you think it's level, right? Like you look at some ground and you go, ah, I eyeball it. It's pretty level, you know, I can, I can probably make it work. But then what happens is you get out the level. You get out the level and you hold it to the ground you thought was level and you're like, oh snap, that's really crooked. Like it's really messed up. Like that's gonna take a lot of work. And in fact it does. Like I thought the ground was level. I ended up having to dig down eight inches of dirt to move over to another side. It was that off, but I was eyeballing it, right? Like I was eyeballing. It's probably good. It wasn't. And the way I knew it wasn't was because I held up the level to it. And it was when I held that level up, I was able to go, oh, wow, this is off. This is why we return to the scriptures together. Because you and I and a culture out there has a ton of ideas about Jesus. The power is not reading, in, reading books about Jesus. The power is in Jesus and knowing Jesus, not having information about Jesus, but walking in Christ. I can read lots of information about Jesus, but I'll have ideas that are so unleveled because I'm not the standard. He's the standard. And I walk wanting his kingdom above every other kingdom this world may boast. This morning, I know that we live in a world that is shaken. And we'll talk more about current events and things that are going on and how the church can move in response to what we're seeing. But we have to start with Jesus as King. This morning, would you take time to consider the other kingdoms that you've been walking in? Willingly, some accidentally. And would you surrender those and say, Jesus, your kingdom is better than mine? Because this morning, as we do every time we gather, as Christ followers should be gathering, we're looking at the power, provision, and performance of Jesus, not ours. This is the time, through our time in Colossians, I do have an agenda. My agenda is Paul's prayer that you would have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. That is where we wanna point our affections today. Jesus, I ask that in these moments, these brief moments, that we are to consider you in a distracted and busy world, God, full of emotional experiences and full of rule following, God, somehow we would see Jesus Thank you for meeting us in the midst of all of our craziness. Thank you for being king. Thank you for never being off your throne. In your name we pray.